Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We will keep a cup of kindness yet for Auld Lang Syne, my dear. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Welcome to the new year, the better year, the happier year, for it is 2021. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my excellent co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And yes, by the time you hear this, we will be in the year 2021. So happy new year to all our listeners. Happy New Year to all of you. And in this new year, we've been coming out with these episodes, you know, for like uh, four or five months. You know, it's been really, uh, really great to see how you guys have all responded to this. Um, and I just wanted to say that the responses that we've been getting have been tremendous. Um, at the time of recording this, uh, which is before Christmas, a couple weeks before Christmas, uh, 11 days before Christmas to be exact, we have reached 6,000 total downloads. And what's more astonishing than that is that there has been a total of greater than 10,000 hours spent listening to our show, which is just mind-blowing. We are truly pleased that so many of you are spending all of this time with us. Of course, uh, you know, this has enabled us to go back and reflect on what sort of content we think is the best quality so that we can make a better show uh, coming this year uh, and a more enjoyable show for you guys to listen to because we appreciate you guys as our fans so much. And I think that for both of us, um, I don't want to speak for you, Sadie, but I, at least for me, um, the episodes that I get the most pride out of making, or at least that I did last year, was the first Family of Fundamentalism series that we did. I think I would say the same thing. Uh, there are lots of episodes that I'm extremely proud of, but the first family series is something I think even years down the road will still be pointing people to that series. Yes, 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 yes. I feel like that's really where we found our voice in this show. Um, 
And because, you know, those sort of documentary type episodes are the ones that we really got the most enjoyment out of making. We thought came out really well. They were also among the ones that uh, our fans liked the most, that got the most listens, that got the most plays, got the most response to. Um, So it just makes more sense for us to do more episodes in that kind of style and maybe do them a bit more often. So instead of just doing like one series and then taking a couple months off, we're maybe going to do one of those a month or, or, or two of those every couple months. I really do enjoy those research heavy episodes. For one thing, it really just suits my personality to be digging through the things and have 28 tabs open on my computer. Well, what you wanted to be a journalist when you were a kid, right? You know, you were looking yeah. at schools to go for. So this kind of scratches that itch, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And this is, this is a, a form of memoir journalism, I guess. Um, finding connections between these two things that are unrelated. I love how these research episodes put me uh, almost in a defensive position because I not only have to tell the story in a way that's both entertaining and accurate, but I also have to prove to the listeners why this is important. I have to make a a logical connection between this is the story and this is how the story affected me and affected other people. By the way, I do have a, a pretty fun connection like that that I'm going to get to share, I think, in part two of this episode. So that'll be fun. Oh, right. Because we are we are about to do a two-parter here. Start off the year strong. Bam. Two-parter. Here we go. Yeah. Um, but the other reason these documentary or biographical episodes are important is, is that it's not just about the individual people that we're talking about. The first family series is primarily about three men and their family and the family drama and the personal failings and crimes and alleged murders. Uh, that those three men committed. Alleged. Yeah, we have to say alleged. We have to say alleged. I literally have never said the word alleged more times. Uh, but it's it's really much deeper than that because it's about the system that those three men built for their own egos, their own financial gain, and their own protection. And it's about how that system is still functioning, even though those three men are long out of the spotlight. And it's about how I and so many other people had to function within that system. You know, we had to make those episodes to give people the context that to like understand certain aspects of your personal story. Like, you know, we've said this before, but when you first told me that you were raised in a cult, I had questions like, uh, you know, were you raised on a count? Uh, like, were you raised on a compound? You know, did they, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, and when you gave me more details, my thoughts were, well, that doesn't sound like a cult. That just sounds like a really strict church. But then when I got into learning about what a cult actually is, how a cult operates, I understood what you were talking about. And, you know, but when you first tried to explain it to me, like what your cult was, you know, you referenced something that I'd never heard of. And you're like, oh, it's like that. And I, I didn't know what you were talking about. So what was it that you said in this specific instance okay i think i know what you're talking about so what i probably said was uh it's like the duggars and you said who yeah no that's exactly what i'm talking about because i had never heard of the duggars so you saying oh it's like the duggars meant absolutely nothing to me and then you said something like oh they had a tv show called 19 kids and counting which i'd vaguely heard of but never paid any attention to because that sort of like reality tv kind of thing is not really my jam i think a lot of people would only know the duggars exist because they occasionally make it to the front page of people magazine or other grocery store checkout or doctor's office magazines like or they will get some press when it's a slow news week but other people are ridiculously invested 
in the Duggar family and their story. I seriously, for some people, the Duggars are bigger than the Kardashians. Yeah. So today's episode is going to be like the start of a deep dive into them and what's going on there. Um, and it's also going to be part of like a conscious effort that we have decided to do more of these like deep dive episodes the way that we did, you know, ways that uh, Christian fundamentalists or, you know, Christian fundamentalism makes its way into or, or, you know, just cults in general, you know, make their way into mainstream media and culture. So today is the first part of a two part episode on the Duggar family. I am so excited. (laughs) I've been waiting to do this episode ever since before we even published our very first episode five months ago or whatever it was, six months ago. Yeah, I have been begging for this episode for so long. And I've been like, why? I I don't get why this is important. (laughs) So yeah, so you're welcome, listeners. If you're interested in the Duggars, this has been months of me hounding Gavi. Like, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. And like having to explain the entire Duggar universe. (laughs) And why this matters. Yeah. And if you don't think that this is important, you should stay and listen, because I didn't realize that this was important until she like really went into explaining all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, 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 okay. But we'll get to that. So I don't think you got it until we had already written part one and we're like halfway through writing part two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, like actually, actually, I was like, why? Why are we talking about? And you're like, no, trust me, it's important. But this, like, this is important. She has convinced me that this is important. That we have to talk about this. That this, like, actually is consequential. So for these very, very consequential two episodes, we are going to be focusing on just the Duggar family, and we're going to talk about how the teachings that I was raised with intersect with the Duggars' beliefs. Uh, like, what's the same and what's different? For those of you who are already super deep into the messed up world of Duggar theology. Uh, I promise that an episode on Bill Gothard and the IBLP is coming in the very near, fu- very near future. I don't know exactly when that will be because I don't know if it's a one-parter or a two-parter yet. <laughs> but for those of you who aren't going to get a lot of new information out of the Duggars episode here, uh, I promise you there is there is one that's even deeper coming at some point in the future. Yeah, and so, you know, we've got one coming on uh, on how this sort of thing is making its way in the age of social media, like with, you know, trad wife influencers, uh, that sort of thing that's coming up. But we figured that, um, you know, it might be a good idea to do a bit of an overview of this family because they're like a major player in this uh, fundamental fundamentalism cult thing. And then like they're going to be coming up again and again and again and again. And so we have to, you know, get the basics out of the way, kind of like we did with uh, the Hiles and, and Scop dynasty. Uh, what I wanted to point out about the Duggars really quickly is that it's um, it's kind of a spider web effect. So the Duggars are connected to all of to the IBLP, which is a, a part of the IFB. And they're also connected to all these other families within it. But there also are connections to like those trad wife influencers that we're going to be talking about. And they're the Duggars are kind of connected or related to everybody. So we need a primer on them first. Before we get into that, um, as usual, um, I have some things to say, which is that if you like this content, you can subscribe to our Patreon where we will be uploading extended and uncensored episodes. Uh, you know, with many, many, many show outtakes. And so that's going to be patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. Uh, if you like this discussion, you can join our Facebook group. It's called Eden Exodus. And uh, that's very fun. We've been having a lot of great discussions there. Yeah, our Facebook group has been really active and fun lately. Uh, I feel like our listeners from different aspects of 
uh, you know, fundamentalism, people who were never fundamentalists, like people are starting to get to know each other. And we're also seeing people using the group more for asking questions and discussing episodes or can I get more information about this thing that Sadie said in this one episode. So I've been enjoying the group just more and more in the last couple of weeks. But now on to the matter at hand. So uh, for somebody like me, uh, you tell me that the Duggars are a family from a <clears throat> reality TV show. I'm not really into reality TV. Um, so who are these people and why should I care about them? So the Duggar family was first on television with a couple of televised specials in the early mid 2000s. The first one was called 14 Children and Pregnant Again. And it focused on the birth of the Duggars' 15th child, Jackson. So two years and one additional child later, there was a special called Raising 16 Children. And there was a lot of media interest, especially questions from women for Michelle, the mother of the family, asking how she was able to manage having so many children. So the the Duggar family started to do interviews. I believe they were on Good Morning America at one point. Um, they started gaining kind of a national traction with these two TV specials and some interviews that they did. Uh, and this interest got played into a TV show on TLC. So the TV show was originally called 17 Kids and Counting. Uh, and then it updated its name with the addition of the last two Duggar children. So it became 18 Kids and Counting and then finally 19 Kids and Counting. And for simplicity in this episode, I'm going to refer to it as 19 Kids and Counting regardless of the time era that I'm talking about. This TV show was really popular for a TLC show. So it was popular with Christians who enjoyed seeing a Christian family on TV. And it was popular with mothers because of the interest in how such a large family functions day to day. I think a lot of moms feel overwhelmed and we'll see how I feel in a few months here. But a lot of moms <laughs> mention feeling overwhelmed with even like two kids or three kids um, getting everything done. So people were really fascinated with how is this lady managing all of these children? So the Duggars agreed to do all these TV specials and then their own show. But they said that they wouldn't do it unless they were allowed to talk about their faith. So the Duggar family is involved with the ATI slash IBLP, which is Advanced Training Institute or Institute of Basic Life Principles. It's a distant arm of the IFB. I'll get way more into this in a future episode. But you want it, what you have to know right now. Most IBLP people are IFB but most IFB are not IBLP. Um, so the Institute of Basic Life Principles is, I would call it a cult within a cult. It's a stricter, weirder, sexually weird offshoot of the IFB. But the people who put the Duggars on TV and the people who watched them on TV had no idea that they were that kind of weird. They just saw a family who dressed extremely modestly, didn't have a television, prayed before they ate, and believed that you shouldn't kiss until you got married. So to the outside world, I think the Duggars looked a lot like anybody's really religious neighbors. They appeared to have the same values as you know, Pentecostals or strict Baptists or like really easygoing Mennonites. It didn't look threatening on the outside because people didn't know the beliefs behind the IFB and the IBLP. It just, these, these people just looked like a homey, plain, super wholesome family that happened to have a lot of kids. 
Yeah, so for the uninitiated, uh, TLC, or The Learning Channel, is a television channel that specializes in documentary and reality TV shows, but like garbage-tier documentary and reality TV shows. Yeah, they also have that show, uh, Little People, Big World, that was airing at the same time as 19 Kids and Counting. They also they do a lot of birth shows. I think they air I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. Yeah, they have shows like My 600-Pound Life or uh, my personal favorite, A 90-Day Fiancé. Yes, which I still intend to watch. Um, Oh, it's very entertaining. I said I don't love reality TV like five minutes (laughs) ago, but man, 90-Day Fiancé, I will watch that all day. (laughs) I mean, I think think everybody gets their one thing. Like, everybody gets their one thing. Um, I think the Toddlers and Tiaras was on that show, was on that on TLC as well. Uh, and yeah. the the spinoff like Honey Boo Boo series. I'm not 100% sure about that one, but I think Dance Moms and Toddlers and Terrors was also on there. Yeah, so it's very much like the stuff you can hate watch in order to feel good about yourself by laughing at weirdos. Or it's the kind of thing where they can try to make it look like look make like all these weird like fringe sort of people are relatable and usually it's kind of a bit of both. Um, so basically, uh, the the Duggars are reality TV stars that are Christian fundamentalists and, you know, have a lot of children. But, you know, I really want to ask why it is important for us to talk about them. So the Duggars are probably the most famous Christian fundamentalist family in the world. Not everybody knows who they are, of course. But if somebody knows a Christian fundamentalist family, it's probably the Duggars that they're that they are aware of. Another reason that I think it's important to talk about the Duggars and it's important to talk about them now is that the IBLP is not nearly as big as the main group of the IFB. But the IBLP is much more politically active and they're also much more dark and evil than the IFB at large. And you know how I feel about the IFB. <laughs> oh, I know how you feel about the IFB. The I, I am telling you the IBLP is way more cult-like. And since the Duggars are the most famous IBLP members as well, I think it's a good lead-in to talk about the Duggar family first because they're kind of the forward-facing or the, you know, the external face of this group. Also, there is the fact that I very peripherally know some people who know the Duggars. It's not much. It's not like I know the Duggars personally or anything, but I do know some people who have been involved in some of their doings. So I have a few little insights that most people wouldn't know about. Uh, And then there's also the thing that the Duggars are politically active. So actually, they became famous uh, before the TV specials because the father was running for a Senate seat in Arkansas. And uh, the father has actually been a state senator at one point. Some of their sons have been politically active and run for state Senate. One of their sons worked for a PAC in Washington, D.C. So there's an element of these people like they look really innocent and homely and like plain, but they are active culture warriors. So these people are, are they're, so they're taking an active role in trying to shape government policies. Yeah. Okay. So for somebody like me who doesn't care about the reality show aspects, that's my hook. Okay. I'm in now. Okay. So we're not just talking about them because they're on TLC. We're talking about them because they're famous fundies who are politically connected and certifiably nutso. Got it. So what do I need to know about the Duggars? So I think the first thing that you'd want to know is that there is a specific reason that they have such a massive number of children. One of the biggest defining features of the specific group that the Duggars are in 
is called being quiverful. So I don't suppose you've ever heard of the the term quiverful before. So I've heard the term before. I just knew that it referred to some sort of uh, extremely strict religious group. Okay. As you'll find out later, these people are extreme biblical literalists, even more so than the mainstream IFB. So it probably isn't surprising that the term quiverful actually comes from a scripture verse. Okay, so it's like when a manly dude believes that his identity as a man depends on him being able to eat the spiciest food, and if he can't do it, he's not a man. Got it. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit deeper than that, but you're you're getting you're on the right track. Um, I support you thinking he's an idiot, but I do. You also have to be compassionate and kind of feel a little bit bad of like how convinced he is of this. So the scripture verse for quiverful, uh, we're looking at Psalm one hundred and twenty-seven, verse four and five. Uh, And I'm using the King James because somehow I always end up using King James on the podcast, even though I don't have to. Okay. But, but, you know, like these people are are King James version only. So like this would be accurate to their interpretation. Right. I think, I think that's one reason why I use it. Who knows if there's also a bunch of guilt in there. I don't know. So the verse is, um, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And the phrase that we're focusing on here is half his quiver full of them. Mainstream Christians and mainstream IFB even tend to interpret this verse as children are, children are a blessing from God and they will bring you joy. But the quiverfuls, I assume, interpret this to mean that in order to be happy and to please God, you need to have as many children as possible. Exactly. But also, did you notice that children are compared in this verse metaphorically to arrows? These people take this to mean that children are meant to be weapons in the culture war. The literal, you know, the culture war that we're in. So, I'll let you finish. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so of course this absolutely uh, ties into the fantastic rhetoric of the Muslims have a bunch of children and we need to outproduce them, which even moderate IFBs will preach at times. I have definitely heard that in church. Um, There's also the rhetoric of uh, make a bunch of babies who will grow up and vote Republican, like make a bunch of babies who will grow up and be missionaries, but also who will speak English and be white and marry white people. I can't prove that they specifically want their children to like that, that they're specifically trying to propagate the white race. And I'm not accusing the Duggars personally of holding. I can always cut that out if you want me. No, to. I don't think you should, because I am not accusing the Duggars of personally holding that opinion. However, this is something that you will hear from white supremacists as well. The outproduce them rhetoric. Oh, yeah. No, I think I, there yeah. is a there's a commonality there. Right. And and they're not done there. Yikes. Yeah, big yikes. The idea that that everyone needs to have a bunch of children, there's a there's a, a an additional factor of awfulness that's worse than the culture war stuff because the way that they believe that this needs to happen is by young women getting married very young and having children way too close together and with no regard for this young wife's health, like physical or mental health. So, you know, we've spoken about this before. We've uh, talked about how Christian fundamentalists are, you know, going to treat their wives like basically like they're an appliance, like they're a baby factory who also cooks and cleans the house. And you know, this is just ratcheted up by an order of magnitude. Right. And I think we have mentioned before how uh, for the fundamentalists, Christian fundamentalists who do believe this way, 
which is not all of them, but is a, a very good portion. A wife is never, ever supposed to say no to a husband. Like we talked about how a wife should never complain, right? Like if you're in the car and you're cold, you should put on a sweater rather than ask your husband to turn down the AC. Yeah. So a, a wife is also never, ever supposed to say no, even for something small, like asking her if she can go get him a glass of water, like no matter what, no matter how small, no matter how big the request, she should never say no and she should never complain. So... To tie that into the quiverful philosophy, if it's God's will for you to have a bunch of kids, then it's obviously a Sendee's birth control of any kind, because that would be getting in the way of God's will. And if you're a wife, you're never allowed to say no to your husband. So that takes away these women, they, they takes away their option of using so-called Catholic contraception, like natural family planning or fertile, fertility awareness method. So basically, like these particular quiverful wives can never, you know, have a headache if their husband wants sex, he gets it. And there's no birth control allowed ever because that is interfering with God's plan for you to have a billion babies. So you end up with women who have no choice, like absolutely zero choice in their family planning or how many children they have or when they end up pregnant. It's up to luck and their husband's whims. And these people believe that this amounts to God choosing their number of children. Because so the, the belief is that God is personally involved in whether they get pregnant or not. I'll get into that in a little bit more in a minute. So it's super common in this group to see women have a baby and then be pregnant again three months later or six months later. And it's common to see, I know two fundamentalist women with like public, you know, public Instagram pages that get publicly discussed, minor fundamentalist celebrities. Uh, I know two now that have health issues that could cause them to get very ill or die if they are pregnant who are currently pregnant against doctor's wishes. Oh. Yeah, so if you're part of this group and you're a woman, what, you get married off at like 18, right? Mm -hmm, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, 18, 19, 20. And then you basically spend most of the next 30 years of your life pregnant. Yeah, so I mean, that's pretty much the idea. If, if you are able to get pregnant, then you have a baby pretty much every year, year and a half from when you were... 18 or 19 and you get married until you're too old to have any more. And I did want to make the distinction. Um, there are mainstream IFBs who believe this. It is much less common within the IFB. And I also wanted to point out um, the strictest Muslim women and the strictest, strictest Orthodox Jewish women. If those women and their partners do live by their respective religious texts and what their religion actually teaches, then both of those types of women have significantly more freedom than these Christian women do over when they choose to have sex and how many children they want to have. Okay, so for me, this just went from, okay, let's gawk at these funny people on TLC to who wants to join a rescue operation? Like, I'm serious. Let's saddle up now. Get a crew together. These women need rescuing. Nobody needs to be pregnant 20 times. Jesus. So one of the... um. <laughs> One of Oof. one of the main like site fan like fan sites for the Duggars that talks about like them being weird and not just praising them. Uh, it's it's uh, called Free Ginger. Ginger's one of their children, but trying to you know, the the whole it's called the free. They'll still say Free Ginger or Free Janet. We'll get to that anyway. Um, when TLC signed the contract with the Duggars, I don't think Free Britney. Exactly, that's probably where it came from. When TLC signed this contract, though, I don't think they knew the dark side of what the Duggars believe and what Quiverful people believe. At that time, well over 10 years ago, people didn't understand, like, 
what the women's plastered on smiles meant. The public wasn't educated enough to realize that when Michelle and when the children constantly talk about how happy they are, to notice that those are clear signs of a cult. People just believe that these were, you know, just regular old run-of-the-mill religious zealots. So let's get into uh, the makeup of the actual Duggar family. Uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle are the parents. They were married very young, and they were less religiously extreme in their early years. Like There are pictures of Michelle mowing the yard in a bikini. There are pictures of Michelle in pants. She has tried really hard to get those covered up, but hasn't really done a good job of getting those off the internet. Jim, Bob, and Michelle admit to having kissed before they were married. And then after they got married, Jim, Bob started to get into some of these more extreme religious ideas that we've talked about and others that we're going to talk about. And Michelle followed him into these weirdo religious ideas. So I'm going to ask you to back up right there because there's something that I have a serious problem with here. Yeah. This man's name is Jim Bob. (laughs) Yes. uh, James Robert, but he's from Arkansas. So he's always gone by Jim Bob. Jim Bob. (laughs) I'm sorry. That doesn't sound like a real person. I mean, if you follow any of the Duggar snark pages, they like to call him Jim Boob. Or also just boob. So I don't know if that would make you feel better. That doesn't really no, make doesn't Jim help. Bob. Imagine going your whole life and having people call you Jim Bob. I Jeez. mean, I'm from the South where people go by Bubba, unironically. What is Bubba short for? Nothing. It's just a nickname. It's just like, okay. yeah, it's just like a nickname. Anyway. I guess there's Bubba Wallace, the NASCAR driver. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jim Bob and Michelle. Jim Bubba. Okay. So there is a a quick, quick CW for miscarriage here. Um, Short, non-graphic. Jim Bob and Michelle have their first child. That's Joshua in 1988. And this is before they were really extreme. So Michelle did what a lot of people do and went on birth control after her pregnancy. Like, you know, normal people. So despite the birth control, Michelle accidentally got pregnant again. The next year in 1989. As happens, because birth control is not 100% effective. Right. And this is a rare thing, but it does happen. She got pregnant on uh, birth control pills, and then she miscarried fairly early in that pregnancy. And, and, and this is not unusual. Like, early miscarriage is something that happens in something like 25% of pregnancies. Yeah, it's something like uh, 30% of pregnancies end in miscarriage before she even knows she's pregnant. Right. And and early miscarriage is something that lots of people experience. We wouldn't want to minimize anyone's pain or trauma. I mean, I know I would have been devastated if I had lost my pregnancy at six weeks or eight weeks. It is absolutely a real loss. But it is not an uncommon thing to experience. No, but it's an awful thing to have happen. Exactly. Fair. That's very true. But what happened with Jim, Bob, and Michelle is that they came to believe that they had lost that pregnancy because she was on birth control at the time of getting pregnant, which is not super scientific. It is possible for that to be a cause of the miscarriage, but it's much more likely that the pregnancy would have been lost anyway because of standard things that cause miscarriages, usually genetic issues with the fetus. But the Duggars believed that it was their fault for using birth control. So... They came to believe with their growing religious beliefs at the time that the birth control is what caused their child to die. And they decided that it was evil and that they would never use it again. If you're a hardcore Christian and you believe that like it it was like it's not just losing a pregnancy, like 
you believe that it is a child that has died. Right. And I think it can feel that way, even for somebody who is pro-choice. Like the difference would be more believing like the baby had a soul or the baby was a person, not a future person or a potential person. But semantics aside, yes, the Duggars believe that they had lost a child and they directly blamed. They believed that either the birth control that she was on had killed their baby or that God had taken their baby's life in punishment because she was on birth control. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, despite literally everything that you've ever heard me say in the history of the show, I like, I do not want to delegitimize anybody's uh, deeply held religious beliefs. Like if you're operating out of a position of trauma, like you could make, some odd decisions like that. Like you could, you could just be like looking for a reason for the, you know, looking for an answer. Right. I think that's very accurate. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, people have all kinds of reactions to tragic things that happen. Right. And we wouldn't blame them for having a reaction that we don't believe to be scientific or true. Um, No, of course not. Another thing that should be understood here though, is the idea of leaving family size up to God. Uh, the idea that these people are working with is that God decides who gets pregnant and when. Uh, and this is this goes way, way into like a pro-life, anti-choice philosophies that we are going to get into in, in a whole nother episode one day. Uh, but you'll see the connections as I explain. The, they reject the idea that that conception is simply biological. So, you know, scientifically, sperm meets egg. If the cells divide and if they implant, then you get a pregnancy. If the pregnancy goes without a hitch, you get a baby. People who people who believe like the Duggars, they believe that the mechanics of what any of those parts happening are directed personally on a molecular biological level by God himself, like personally. So if you have sex and you get pregnant, it's because God decided personally that you would be pregnant. So you see the connection there to like to like pro-life philosophy. Does that? Yeah. Well, again, I'm not going to go super deep into that because we have to do it another time. But the idea is that if God didn't want you to have another kid, he would personally not put the parts together to make a baby. So therefore, if you're pregnant, then God personally wanted you to be pregnant. Okay, well, so God decided to give me a brain and decided to let me use my brain to see that I don't think that I want to have literally another baby every year until I can't do this anymore until I die from complications. No, like in all seriousness, this is just totally bonkers. No, I mean, I I understand where you're coming from. The science denialism makes me very uncomfortable. Um, Of course. Because like reproduction is is a scientific process, which is something that I learned when I got out of a cult. But anyway, we'll, we'll get more into that in, at another time. But that's where the idea of being... So now you understand like Quiverful and the, the whole leaving our children up to God thing. So they... um, By the way, if you hear the Duggars refer to Caleb, they felt like that pregnancy would have been a boy. So they named that uh, Caleb so that they would have a name to refer to when they referred to that miscarriage. Um, uh, so it's something that some people do. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... I'm not- snarking on them um, that you know. i mean yeah that goes to show that that there was a lot of pain there so yeah. as the duggars moved more and more into this religious group of the iblp they started having more and more children and living more and more strictly a lot of people think that that miscarriage of caleb uh really kind of turned the tide 
And it was like a mental breaking point that, that turned them much more into this religious group. So by happenstance, the first few living children, uh, they happened to name them names that started with the letter J. And then as time went on, they didn't want to break the trend. So all of their children have names that start with J. Wait, they, so they all have J names? Yep. So they're like, so they are like the Kardashians because the Kardashians all have K names. Right. Except for their 19 living Duggar children. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Let's go through the list real quick. So we got Joshua, Jana, John, David, Jill, Jessa, Ginger. Uh, wait, 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 wait. They spelled Ginger with a J. Yeah. That's atrocious. Yeah. J-I-N-G-E-R. Ginger. Sorry about that. Uh, Weirdly. Like Qui-Gon Ginger. So in my opinion, (laughs) Ginger is one of the least obnoxious Duggars as an adult. Um, Her husband is not popular with fans of the show, but but she's pretty popular. Wait, so like, but like if your parents name you Ginger with a J, I suppose you know from day one that something is wrong with your upbringing. You know, that might be true. Um, (laughs) So on the show, like... So these these older Duggar kids, like I would be I would be between so Jana and John David are twins. I would either be between the twins and Jill or between Jill and Jessa, I think. Like you and I are you and I are as old as like the third oldest Duggars or the fourth oldest Duggars. But back when the oldest kids were teenagers, Ginger was the one that I thought her outfits were always really cute. Um, she was known for being the one with like the most light in her eyes, if that makes sense. She was less of a robot. She looked more like a normal person. The camera even caught her rolling her eyes a few times. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Major drama. So I don't know. Maybe it was her name that tipped her off early. I mean, honestly, I did not know that there were so many names that started with a J. So in the back half of the Duggars, um, let's see. We have after Ginger. Joseph, Josiah. I guess they all get in the van, the back half of the van. I guess they got to get like a a school bus. They have a charter bus. Yeah, that's how they drive their kids around. But Joseph, Josiah, Joanna, Jedediah. Jesus is the name. Have they named any of their kids Jesus? Jesus. Uh, Jedediah and Jeremiah. Those are twins. Uh, Jason, James, Justin, Jackson, Johanna, Jennifer, Jordan, Grace, and Josie. And John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt. Yep. So here's a question. Did they have any Spanish ancestry? Because I feel like if you're going to go with J names, you know, they've, they've got, you don't always have to go with a hard J sound. So there's no like Joaquin Duggar. No Spanish, Spanish ancestry that I know of. And Joaquin is a lovely name, but I thought it was French. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of uh, uh, crossover between names in romance languages. Like one of my favorite uh, Formula One drivers is named Esteban, but he's French. See, I have, I associate Joaquin with, uh, with Mobile. Alabama, which is a, a oh, okay. very Frenchified American city. Um, we have lots of like, we have like Dauphin Street and that kind of thing. The other major thing that people notice about the Duggar names uh, is that there is a Jana, a Joanna, and a Johanna. People think those are a little too similar for three kids in the same family. But this is also the same family that b- brought you twins named Jedediah and Jeremiah. So, so you, I mean, people make fun of black people for having names that are like, for giving their kids interesting names and the Duggars are like off doing this. Shit. No kidding. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's totally okay to prefer a certain style of names, whether that's super classic or super trendy or names you made up yourself or whatever. But I mean, I just don't like when people go hating on other people's creativity. No. Anyway, I mentioned that there are 19 living children, Josie, the last one, 
her birth was very difficult. Michelle had preeclampsia and Josie and Michelle almost both died. Josie was born at only 25 weeks. Michelle got pregnant one more time in 2011. That child, Jubilee, was stillborn, I believe, at around 16, 17 weeks. Oh, that's awful. I I am deeply sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's truly a sad and, and difficult and terrible thing to have happen to somebody. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. That's a... That's awful. I, I agree. Ugh. And after Jubilee, Jim, Bob, and Michelle have not had any further children. I think Michelle was 44 or 45 at the time and of that's Jubilee's That's a wise birth. decision. Yeah, it's either a wise decision or they, you know, she was just finally not able to get pregnant again. It's not clear. Um, so that is the story anyway of how this crew of J-named children dressed in polo shirts and long denim skirts made it onto television. Well, they're Southern, right? Uh, they're from Arkansas. Is that Southern? Is it? I don't know. I you're mean, the one, you're, I no, guess you're no the if I'm if I'm the judge, since Arkansas is not Southern. Is is Arkansas what? Arkansas is mm. is pseudo Southern. Arkansas is hillbilly. Arkansas is a beautiful place and it's a very nice state, but I don't count it as the South. <laughs> so is are they Southern enough to have monogrammed polo shirts? No. Because I was going to say, if you were Southern, then you would, if you were truly Southern, then you would have monogram polo shirts. And then if all of your kids have the same initials, then you can reuse the shirts for the next kid. I mean, that's a, that's a really good idea. It would have been really convenient. I don't think I've ever actually seen a monogram polo on the show. Well, with that, um, I think we've introduced everyone. We've introduced everyone. Uh, let's go take up the offering and, uh, We'll come back with some more Duggar comments. Okay. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Uh, So in the first half of the episode, we introduced who the Duggars are and why they're important, um, and then made fun of them a little bit. Uh, But in this half of the show, we're really going to talk about 
what this all means. And, and so the Duggars really went all out for this sanitized image. They dressed really modestly. They didn't have a TV. They homeschooled their children, of course, using uh, ACE curriculum. Oh, okay. So they're not only just having tons of children, but they're having tons of children and filling their brains with cement. Weapons in the culture war, dude. Yeah. So there's also like a real patriarchal bent to this particular group. Uh, And when I say patriarchal, they will very literally refer to their father as their patriarch and actually believe that he is like the king of their household. So they actually believe that they need his, especially the daughters, that they need the father's permission on what they wear, whether they can cut their hair or wear makeup, whether they're allowed to curl their hair or not, any job they seek, anyone that they want to court, everything. If you read the book of Genesis, there are references to something called a tribe and there are references to something called a nation. And this is like just sort of an explanation of, you know, those things for people that don't know, you know, if you're not particularly religious. But basically, if you have like a man who's got a lot of children, then he would be like the father of a nation. A nation, like in the literal sense, means that like you could trace your lineage back to one man. So like perfect and obvious example of this is in the book of Genesis. Jacob is is the patriarch, um, son of Isaac, uh, grandson of Abraham. Jacob had his name changed to Israel and he had 12 sons. Um, And the descendants of those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel is a person and everyone descended from him is the nation of Israel. And sometimes you will hear the Jewish people referred to as the Israelites or the nation of Israel. And that's what that means. So nation means common descendants of one person. So this idea of having a patriarch and having tons of kids and being the head of the, this is like sort of the head of the, the nation that goes back to the book of Genesis. Right. And, and you want to remember that these people are biblical literalists. So they believe that the way that things were in the old Testament was in many ways, the ideal. And of course the old Testament is full of wisdom and truth and important stories, but it's not exactly great on women's rights all the time. Cause not everyone was aware about, you know, women being people back then. Yeah. Yeah. So uh. the Duggar show starts off as being about the family. Basic stuff. Like how many eggs do you go through in a week if you have 18 children? Like how many washers and dryers do you need to have? That sort of thing. So how do they afford to have all of these kids? That's a great question. There is never a direct answer to this, but a lot of these IBLP people are very wealthy. So they tend to very quietly be real estate investors, landlords, they flip houses. Uh, Jim Bob in particular, he publicly owned several used car dealerships. Uh, Privately, internet commenters, you know, claim that he also owned a storage business and he's got all these businesses and like other people's names. And it's possible that I'm not saying he does anything illegal with his taxes, but that he does, you know, sneaky things. It tax loopholes, legal loopholes that mean you don't pay very much taxes. Yeah, but like you, you can't pay taxes on money that you don't have to begin with. Right. So, uh, well, Jim Bob, and, and of course, he's got the deduction for all of those children. Um, but so he owns like these used car dealerships. He owns storage places. He flips houses. 
either Jim Bob or his sons even owned an EMT service at one point. So he's got like multiple small businesses. Okay, so like one kid though, one kid is going to cost between two hundred and fifty thousand and three hundred thousand dollars. You know, to go from birth to age eighteen. Okay, and then if you consider they've got eighteen children going, then that's about yeah. three hundred thousand dollars a year for raising kids. If it it's if it's even year by year. Okay, here's a couple thoughts on that. Number one, the wife is at home full time, and she's expected to cook for the family, so the families can eat very frugally. Um, the mom and of course they can shop at Costco <laughs> and save some money buying everything in bulk. The mom is expected to be able to repair clothes. So the clothing are passed down through several children before they wear out. The mom is supposed to be able to sew for the children. So a lot of, especially because girl clothes are easier to sew. Um, a lot of the girls wear homemade dresses most of the time. And uh, there are a lot of little expenses that don't apply to these families as well. There's no cable bill. There's no school charges because they're homeschooled. They're they're very old-fashioned. So like Christmas, for example, Christmas for these kids doesn't involve a lot of toys. It's more like, you know, oranges and cakes and socks and stuff. And they definitely aren't buying their, chi- their kids a PS5. Maybe they buy a Wii, like a Nintendo Wii, but that's for the whole family. Like that's mom and dad's present to all 18 of you. So that's like a pretty big savings there on, you know, presents and that kind of thing. They're not spending any money on beer. They're not going out to movies. They're usually not going to restaurants because uh, people who are IBLP won't go to a restaurant that serves alcohol at all. So these people literally wouldn't even go to Applebee's or Olive Garden. So when I was growing up, I mean, my family had money, but we rarely went to restaurants because we didn't live extravagantly. And that's fine if you have like two or three or four kids, but like 10 or more. Like you have to be looking after kids all day. Plus you've got to cook, you've got to sew, you've got to take care of the house. You're probably also pregnant again too. So your feet hurt, your joints hurt. Like how on earth can you handle something like that? So this is literally exactly the thing. I mean, you're right. The mom's job in this scenario is absolutely never ending. And Michelle talks about her laundry room meltdown. And this is something that happened when she only had seven or eight children. (laughs) So Michelle is trying to get laundry done for all of these children. And she just had like what we would probably call an anxiety attack or a a small scale mental breakdown. Panic attack just for. Yeah, like she had a panic attack like like people have. Uh, This is feeling like she couldn't do it. Um, Michelle wrote about this in a blog post. I think it's now deleted, but you can find it on web archives. Um, she described continually falling asleep while doing chores. Like she I can imagine. Yeah, like this poor lady, like she, seven or eight children. Jesus. And they're like seven or eight children under the age of ten. Ooh. So they can't even do anything yet. They can't even help I you know. out yet. Really. And she'd be like folding laundry and fall asleep on the laundry and wake up hours later, like, where am I? What did I do? I mean, I've been that kind of tired before. Like Oh, I have too. Like, like that's understandable and that's very difficult. And, and she's living in this IFB world of like women are always supposed to be positive and my heart just breaks for this woman. That's horrible. It is. So, so Michelle had this conversation with God where God told her that this was meant to teach her to praise him and depend on him with a good attitude. And then like she's stuck in this like terrible IFB nightmare and I just feel so bad for her. So Michelle started to get help from friends and family to deal with all of this. Some of the Duggar, if you really dig deep into some of the forums, people think that that either 
Jim Bob's mother or another relative may have moved in with them for a while to help out. Uh, church members start helping out. Multi-generational households. That's a, a thing. Yeah, that's a thing in cultures that are for- smarter than us. <laughs> um, no, like that, but like it's kind of covered up. The Duggars didn't make a big deal of it, I think, because they wanted to preserve the image that they had. That there was one person who could do everything because they were empowered by God. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, pregnancy is hard and being a mom, from what I've heard and what I'm about to learn, is is hard. And I would not be in good health as a pregnant person if I was trying to keep up with that kind of thing. Like, I take so many naps because I'm exhausted and I don't have eight children to take care of. And I know that being pregnant back to back, that's more than difficult. It's actually bad for a person. Because being pregnant takes iron from your blood and it takes calcium from your bones. It depletes other essential nutrients. And that is, it's a natural process. It's what happens, but it takes time to recover from that enough to have another and support another healthy pregnancy. And so like you've told me in the past um, that when you were a young teenager, you were basically given a baby to take care of. So you know about doing all of this stuff. Okay. So this is the other thing. Michelle starts assigning her kids after this laundry room meltdown to a buddy system where an older sibling will be responsible for the younger sibling. This isn't all bad. Like this is this is something that definitely can work. You know, if you've got older kids and younger kids, you know, to get them to walk the, you know, walk your younger sibling to the bus stop. And like if you've got a multi-generational household, like a bigger household uh-huh. where you've got like cousins living in the same house, you know, you'll have a cousin 13, 14 be like, hey, can you uh, take care of the baby? Yeah. Can you can you change? Can you please change a diaper? Can you please supervise a bath time? Can you please uh, give this kid a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because they won't stop screaming? Um, that's normal. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, totally. That's yeah. totally normal. Um, And in any religious group where having lots of babies is common, it becomes pretty common for young girls as young as 10, 11 or 12 to be expected to spend significant amounts of time caring for babies. But just the girls, never the boys. Right. So this is where like the idea of a buddy system kind of falls apart and becomes an, an inequality thing uh, because the responsibility is much heavier on young girls. It can start taking away from those young girls' education. Uh, it can start being a major time constraint on their life. And that's where this becomes unequitable. Now, I loved babies when I was that age. I have, when I say I've wanted to be a mom for like 20 years, I'm not kidding. Like I love, I love kids. I love babies. And I honestly enjoyed caring for those little babies when I was, when I was a young kid. It's the problem is when young girls are just callously expected to take on these responsibilities, especially when it's done this way and it's like an assignment and they're expected to learn to cook and clean and have these responsibilities that take up so much of their time. Um, number one, it interferes with education, and that is not acceptable. Uh, then there's a term. There's a psychological term for something that often happens. It's called parentification. And this almost always happens to young girls who are the older children in a large family. So this, like, this is just wild to me because, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12, like, I was building with Legos and I was reading Star Wars comic books. And if you had handed me or somebody of my general maturity level a baby to take care of, that child would have died immediately. I was taking care of of newborns and other children by the time I was 13. But that's a little older. And and like I said, 
it probably was a little premature for me to have that responsibility. And it probably did mess up my spine. Um, but I did actually like it. And that's one of the main differences. Like I was actually willing to take care of a baby and it wasn't something that interfered with my education or with me having a life. Parentification is, is a little bit deeper than what I was doing at that age. Um, what I was doing was uh, was more just a, a, a an effect of, you know, all an effect of the assumption that all women are going to be mothers and have babies. And so you're basically just like babysitting like that. It wasn't like it was actually your child. Right. Um, parentification goes a little bit different or a little bit deeper. It's basically making an older sister or an older girl a surrogate mother for the younger children that the birth mother isn't physically or mentally capable of taking care of. It can also really lead to emotional incest or physical incest as well, because this older sister is taking on the role of a parent. And that means that the father can emotionally dump on her if his wife isn't mentally healthy enough to be that emotional support. Um, she's already being asked to take on the role of a mother in the family. So uh, sometimes the father can become emotionally dependent and put uh, uh, inappropriate amounts of emotional pressure on this child as well. So, okay. So basically, let, let me see if I can get this. Okay. So wife is raising children. Mm-hmm. Teenage daughter also raising children. But the wife can't handle the extreme stress of raising that many children and also look after the house and also be the emotional sponge for everything that the husband has to go through, you know, with all of the stress from having the job. And which, by the way, better be a good job because if he's raising that many children, he better be pulling down some serious, uh, uh, some serious uh, cheese. He essentially turns his daughter into his wife. Yeah, like in in the um, in the less nasty sense, like emotionally he emotionally expects her to behave like a second emotional sounding board emotional sponge for him occasionally this can also turn into a physical incest situation i mean if they model themselves after the way things that like this is the thing that i really like if they model themselves after the way that things function in the bible in that case you know they'd at least have the sense you know if you're going to have that many children you'd at least have the sense to go out and maybe get another wife take a load off the first one because you know in the bible if you were a man you're going to have that many kids they'd at least have the common sense to not have all of the kids with the same woman because i mean you you just can't do that but like if you like but if you can't do that in this situation you have to have one wife then i guess the daughter becomes the second wife yeah like that's that's the general idea of parentification it certainly doesn't always lead to emotional incest or physical incest it's the idea though that that this young girl is expected to step into a role of of motherhood uh, that is way above her pay grade way above her age and that that role makes the incest more likely um, so hold on to that thought because of course we're gonna we're gonna get there. Other than parentification in the buddy system, there is another tactic that Michelle Duggar famously, or I should probably say infamously, uh, uses to keep all of these children in hand. What's that? Uh, okay, CW for child abuse. This one's oh, gonna be. God. This one's gonna be. Yeah, quite a few minutes of discussion of this. Uh, sorry. So one of the first Duggar scandals came about when it became known that the family uses the blanket training method on their children. Blanket training is an extremely controversial method that is... Okay, so I wouldn't say common because it's not like everyone uses it, but it uses it, but it's not uncommon in the IFB church. And then it's pretty common in the IBLP section. 
I mean, blanket training doesn't sound too nefarious, though, because babies love blankets. Um, unfortunately, this is something I would absolutely call nefarious and or evil. Uh, blanket training is intended to teach babies and children self-control. So how it's done, it's something like this. So a baby or a small child is placed on a blanket on the floor, like when people do tummy time. But the baby is told to stay on the blanket. And then if the baby crawls off the blanket, they are hit with different objects like a wooden spoon or a plastic ruler or a length of plastic tubing. What the f***? I am sorry to have to inform you of this if you don't know. But hitting... I'm sorry. Hitting babies and small children is very much part for the course in fundamentalist Christian environments. Even Jack Hiles' child-rearing books advocate corporal punishment for infants and toddlers. Wait, 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 wait. So they're hitting babies? Yeah. Like infants? Yeah. Uh, typically, they suggest you start this when the baby can crawl. So that's like six or eight months. A little bit, maybe a little bit later, depending on your baby. Yeah, this is really bad. Um so, okay, so like in normal parent world, if your baby crawls to a light socket and tries to put their little bitty finger in there, or if they try to touch a burning candle or a hot stove or anything else that's an immediate danger to them, like normal parents like grab their child away to like keep them safe or like they might even like slap the back of their baby's hand. Like that's a parenting decision if you're okay with doing that or not. But like this is a total, this is like beating but, babies. Like, babies don't even have object permanence yet. Like, they literally cannot comprehend the existence of anything that is not within their immediate sight. So how are they going to understand the consequences if they can't even remember that the, like, that the world exists when it's nighttime? I mean, that's the thing. Because, like, the, because children have to be, children have to be taught that if mom or dad says no, that they need to learn to listen to that. Like, so, but this goes way beyond keeping your kids safe or, like, teaching them that they have to listen if you say no okay but this like they're they're beating infants with rubber tubing and rulers so let me explain the why and why would someone ever do this terrible thing why would someone ever do this terrible thing let me tell you why so normal parents like i said are, are looking to train a child not to touch hot stoves and not to run into the road or if mom or dad says no the kid needs to learn how to listen because of the because of you know dangerous things that kids don't know about. That's like the normal mindset, okay? So fundamentalist parents have a completely different MO. Completely different. The belief is that everyone is a sinner, even tiny children. So you know, sometimes babies cry because they're hungry or because they're wet or cold or the tag on their onesie is poking them. Uh, babies cry because they need something, right? Yeah. I, Basic evolutionary response. Yeah. Uh, IFBs and other fundamentalists believe uh, that sometimes babies cry because they're bored or because they want attention. Now, modern parenting would say, yes, that's also a need is to be comforted or to get attention. But the, the, the fundamentalist Christian belief is that that is a sinful desire and the baby is lying to the parent. Wait. Okay. But babies... Babies literally do not have comprehension of their own desires apart from their basic survival instincts. There's a scripture to the effect of we are born speaking lies. And these people take that very, you guessed it, literally. And so these people don't know about or believe in psychology, like the hierarchy of needs. Like literally born speaking lies. Literally. 
Like literally the baby come like like you have the baby, you hear it cry, you're like, it's lying, hit it. Well, I guess they do they do spank the kids when they, you know, I guess that is a thing. But no, like if your baby cries for no reason, then your baby just lied to you and you need to discipline your baby for lying to you. So you beat your baby when it cries to teach it not to. So it depends on whose method they're following. So Jack Hiles um, just suggested ignoring the child. But the the foundational belief is that they need to train, that, that children have an instinct to lie and children have an instinct to disobey. And you need to train that out of them as young as possible. Usually they recommend beating the child, um, although denying a child food and water is another method that's mentioned in the child wearing books that are promoted by the Duggars. Jesus. I mean, like, in my ex- in my experience, the stricter that parents are, the better the kids are, like, the better the kids are at lying because it becomes a survival skill. So that's another thing that's going to come up in part two of this episode, how this kind of parenting does not necessarily turn out decent, well-adjusted adults. Jesus. But, like, imagine if you go to your therapist and say, yeah, my parents beat me with rubber tubing from when I was six months old. Like, what can you do with that? Like before you even understood like that you were a person, you understood that you were having the beaten out of you by your parents. Like what the hell? I mean, this is how do you recover from that? That's a really good question. This is another little segment of growing up IFB where I personally just got really lucky. My parents were. I mean, compared to this kind of bullshit, my parents were extremely nice. Uh, My parents did discipline us, but I sure as heck never got hit with rubber tubing when I was a baby um, or ever at any point. (laughs) Good. No, this is where I got the benefit of having parents who were not raised in the cult and parents who are genuinely good hearted people. Um, My parents were encouraged by the IFB to beat us as children, uh, but they, they really could not stand to do it. Uh, the, the way that they were recommended to. Uh, and I do think you said that really well. Like you said, you um, these people understood being hit before they understood why or even like who they were as a person. I personally know many people who have ended up in therapy for that very reason. It gives you a real complex because basically before you even knew who you were, you knew foundationally that you would never be good enough, like never be able to perform to other people's standards. And like that's that's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. So w- when you told me about blanket training, I Googled it um, and I found it on Wikipedia. And what's more, I found out that it actually came from a book that I had heard of. So I'm guessing you're talking about uh, To Train Up a Child by Michael and Debbie Pearl. Yeah, um, I, I think I, I saw some articles about it a few years ago. I can't remember why, but the name stuck with me. And I think it was controversial because people were calling it like a child abuse manual. But one thing that I distinctly remember hearing about it was the rubber tubing that you would beat your child with. And then you would like keep the rubber tubing on you at all times in a way that was visible to the child so that they would know that if they ever stepped out of line, you know, that's what they get. And that really creeped me out. Like, I honestly cannot imagine doing that to a child. Like, I cannot imagine living in an environment where that kind of abuse is normalized. Yeah, I think they they recommended, like, hanging it from a belt loop so the kid can always see it. 
Um, yeah, that's one of the many absolutely horrible tips in that book. I also found a web archive of To Train Up a Child, by the way. Please peruse at your own risk. This is, it's bad. But if anyone does feel like they would like to dive into this absolute abusive horror, I can put the web archive link in our show notes. Yeah. Um, like, like I've been, I don't know. I've been, when I've been at my most irreverent and disrespectful, um, by which I mean, I've been aggressively trolling old people on Twitter in the comment section. There's always going to be a dude that, you know, shows up his, Profile picture is usually him, like, but it's like a selfie in a car or a truck wearing a baseball cap and sunglasses, you know, guy with a goatee. And he'll be saying something like, sounds like your parents didn't beat you enough as a child. And I always thought that that was just like some rude joke that people would make. But these people are actually serious. Oh, no, absolutely. Because of the <sighs> it's because of the the children are sinners from day one thing. Um, it's actually considered a vital part of raising a child to beat them. There's another scripture that's along the lines of um, the the blueness of the wound cleanseth the soul. I think that's in Proverbs. But basically, like, beating your child makes them a good person. So it's actually compared to breaking in a horse. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but once a horse hits a certain age and it's old enough to be ridden, uh, they have to put a saddle on the horse and teach it to be willing to carry people. And that can be kind of like a turbulent or, or even violent process. Are you familiar with that? I mean, I I didn't, but I, I guess I, I'm familiar with that now. Uh, I for, I'm sorry. I forget that you were raised in this, like actually in the city. So these people were referred to breaking a child just like breaking a horse. Um, and they will use the same terminology. They'll even say, like, I am breaking his spirit or he needs to have his spirit broken. And they will speak with pride about the moment that they knew that their child's spirit was gone and they were completely broken and submissive to the parent. Jesus. Yeah. And it's like it's like Stockholm syndrome as a parenting method. Yes. And, and the Duggars do this stuff. So the Duggars have never been seen on camera hitting their children. Of course. Michelle posted a now-deleted blog post about blanket training. She did not mention if she actually hit the kids or how hard. But she said that she was using the Pearl Method, and the Pearl Method does involve hitting children. So we can assume that she did. Uh, they also had to train up a child on their website under recommended family books for a very long time. And then they finally, probably around the time that you heard of this book, they finally removed the book from their website. So I just thought that these people were religious weirdos who had a TV show so that we could gawk at them. But they're actually out promoting, physically beating infant children. I mean, if there's anything that I know about like kids, it's like if you suppress energy in one way, they're going to act out in another. Maybe it'll take some time and maybe it's going to end up manifesting itself somewhere else down the line. You make them submissive now, but they're not robots. They're going to do something. And the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to be. The second half of this two-parter is going to focus uh, a lot on the ways that the Duggar children dealt with their upbringing as they got towards adulthood. Um, of course, there are a couple main scandals, which is probably no surprise to most of our listeners. Uh, but we're also going to discuss some of the children who didn't get caught in any kind of scandal and how they're now dealing with their upbringing, like whether they're cho choosing the same for their own children and so on. Uh, so just to kind of wrap up where we are narratively, the very first season of 19 Kids and Counting was focused on the oldest child, Josh, uh, and his courtship, engagement, and marriage. 
Court, courtship is something that you've mentioned before, like in the dating episode, and it was like episode four, I think. Is that Mountain Moo? Uh, yeah, that was yeah, Mountain Moo. That yeah, was Mountain Moo. Yeah. Um, so you alluded to it being more serious than dating, but I can't really remember any other details. Oh, um, I can give you a basic rundown on courtship. Yeah, give it to me. So with dating, you start by you ask somebody out, you go on a date. And at the time of the first date, you don't really know if there's going to be a second date or a third date. You're just like seeing where it will go. So like sitting next to each other at church and having a chaperone meal. Yeah, exactly. Like dating uh, within the IFB is done like the same way that dating is done outside the IFB, just with some major omissions and more chaperones and a lot more Jesus. So courtship is different from an arranged marriage, but it's closer to an arranged marriage than it is to date. In a courtship, so a young man who's looking for a wife or that young man's parents would notice a certain young lady. So that guy or his parents would approach the girl's father or approach her parents, and they would ask if they can enter into a courtship. And at the time of starting a courtship, you've never spent any time alone. You've never spent significant time together. Uh, if you know each other at all, if you've ever had a conversation, it's been it's, it's a very shallow knowledge of each other. So basically, it's your parents setting you up. Mostly. Um, the boy can also go on his own to the girl's father and ask to start a, start a courtship. Once you're in an established courtship, the goal and the plan and the intention is that the two of you will end up married. Uh, a broken courtship is almost as serious as a broken engagement. Like you would only break a courtship for reasons that would be serious enough to break an engagement. So like you're intended as like a criminal or something. Wait, 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 wait. So your parents could set you up with like some random person and you might not even be attracted to that person or really even like them. And basically, you know, your parents could ask their parents if they want to enter into a courtship and then like they say, yes, you know, you basically just have to marry them or it's a big deal. So like, is there a middle step here that I am missing? So usually... The parents will at least ask the daughter if she's interested in courting this guy. The, the parents are Usually. not obligated to ask. Not obligated? No. It is considered the, the nice thing to do. Usually there is mutual interest. Like these two kids have at the very least like been making eyes at each other across a room at church. And they're both into each other. Or like they've had at least a few heavily chaperoned conversations at church. Like they've at least been engaged in conversation with each other for five minutes a few times usually but um remember and I, i'm sorry i don't remember which episode this was but we had talked about how uh at hiles anderson you're you're just a, um, encouraged to go on dates with anybody and being physically attracted to somebody is very very not it's very much not the goal or something that's considered important yeah. This kind of goes back to that. Like, there's always that element of like, well, my dad asked your dad if we could get married. So now we're married and you're kind of expected to just roll with it. <sighs> okay. Well, so if I go to a synagogue for services, chances are that there will be an old lady there that will notice me and ask me, you know, she'll be like, what do you do for a living? Ask if I'm single. And then she'll show me pictures of her granddaughter. <laughs> And yeah, and so there's like a 50% chance that I already know her granddaughter and that I have to explain to this old woman why we may not necessarily <laughs> be compatible. And she'll be like, why not? She's a very nice girl. She's very smart. She went to Brown, you know. So, so I mean, yeah, but that's that's a girl who went to college. So, so clearly not any kind of IFB. Clearly not. So courtship really can be a consensual thing. 
Like I, I have known people where both parties are committed to this idea that they don't want to date. They don't want to date multiple people. They both want to find a wife or husband within their religious subgroup. And it's just a cultural thing, much like an arranged marriage. There's a questionnaire that you fill out. Um, the Duggar Girl questionnaire, I think, is 140 questions that Jim Bob questions. makes their intended fill out. Um, it's like short answer or, or short answer or multiple choice. Uh, like essay. Yeah. 140 essay questions. You, I, 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 have I not, wouldn't even bother. I have not found some of the Duggar Girls are real pretty. Uh, I have not found it printed online yet. Yeah, but not. Yeah, I mean, you could be pretty, but that's not worth 140 essay questions, man. Like, fair enough. Um, be soulmates. That's not worth 140 essay questions. I'm not gonna comment on this. Be like intended by God. I'd be like 140 essay questions. No, thank you. Try my luck on J Swipe. <laughs> I know people who had an arranged marriage and are super happy. Um, I have to ask my dad. I think my grandparents, I think his grandparents had an arranged marriage, not my grandparents, his grandparents. But well, just like that, like, I mean, I went to college with two different girls um, whose parents are from India, where it's still like pretty common to do arranged marriages. And uh, they are both still married to the, the men that they were in an arranged marriage with. As far as I know, they're both happy. And I know people who courted and are happy with the outcome. Like, I honestly do. There can definitely be a dark side of courtship, though, because there can be a lack of consent where the father just picks someone for their kid or where there's no consent in either direction where because courtships tend to be very fast. So courtships can be like you announce a courtship and then three months later you're engaged and then three to four months later after that you're married because the idea is like, oh, well, you you know, the less you know each other, the less likely you are to sneak off and have sex. So there can be that issue where you get married and you don't know each other very well, and that can really mess things up. So as a cultural practice, I'm not going to say that courtship is always wrong or that it's somehow unethical, uh, but there is definitely a wrong way to do it. And there are consent issues that have to be navigated. Thousands of years. For thousands of years, that's how it was, though. I mean, like I know people who got to like a certain age and then they're like, I want to go to a professional matchmaker. Right. And that's why I wouldn't knock, uh, you know, courtship or arranged marriage. No, whatever is clever. Whatever general. Um, The issue is like when you don't when there's when there is a lack of consent somewhere in the process, that's where things are much more likely to go the wrong way. Anyway, 19 Kids and Counting um, followed Josh's courtship story and his wedding with Anna Keller. Uh, the Keller family is a Fundy Famous family. They're also heavily IBLP involved, just like the Duggars. So on the surface, it seems like it would be a match made in heaven, um, you know, because they, they come from similar families, similar values. You know, hopefully they like each other quite a bit. Yeah. Um, the two families are very similar. I think Anna's family has nine children not 19, uh, but they hold very much the same values. Josh and Anna get married and they start having children of their own. And uh, as far as a couple, they they seem to be really happy. The TV show alternates between Josh and Anna, like their small children and the Duggar, the main Duggar family until a couple years later, more Duggar siblings. So some of those older girls start to court and get married. And I think chronologically i think this would be a good place to end part one and come back next week for part two okay um when we come back what i want to get into i want to take kind of a detour into some of the duggars political activism and then we'll get into like the next chronological twist in terms of the story anything specific that needs to be discussed in this episode that i left out 
No, nothing that that I can really think of because this is really just here. We're getting every, like the basics, the um everything just nailed down just all of the background information that we need to talk about this stuff and explain why this stuff is important. This reminds me so much of the First Family of Fundamentalism episode one. I'm really glad that we that we kind of talked a little bit about the surface level parts of the IBLP and the Quiverful movement in this episode. Next episode is going to be kind of the, the results, like what kind of people does this turn out? When the kids grow up and then when we when we revisit, uh, when we do the Gothard episodes, which I hope will be um, I hope we'll get to it in about uh, a month or two. That would be my goal. But when we get to that, I think it'll be it'll be illuminating because you'll understand kind of where some of these beliefs come from, uh, the the twisted theology behind it and the man who made it happen. Yeah. And uh, tune in uh, on Monday. That's going to happen on Monday. Uh, on Thursday, uh, we are going to be talking about the Christian, uh, is it a Christian metal band? Yes. That we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be reviewing some of the music by Striper, this band called Striper, which Sadie uh, is very excited to have me listen to. So it's going to be kind of like um, the, the Hiles Anderson tour tapes episode, but maybe a little bit more rock and roll. And so we'll get uh, uh, my opinion about it because I mean, I'm a, a true blooded uh, a rock and roll kid. So we'll see how I feel about that. I honestly think you're going to like it, but we'll see. You think I'm going to like it? Okay. So until I mean, next. You're like, uh, do you enjoy Motley Crue? Like some, some like... stuff by Motley Crue or Poison? I, oh, I love, I love Poison. Okay, Every listen, rose has its thorn. If you like is... Poison, you like Striper. Trust me. Okay, so it's like, is, do they have an equivalent of every rose has its thorn? Uh, yes. I'll tell you what it is on the episode on Thursday. Um, I'm excited for that. Uh, and hopefully you guys are too. Be sure to tune in then and be sure to tune in on Monday. Uh, this has been the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast. Twitter is Leaving Eden Pod. If you have questions for us, if you want to, uh, you can email us at leavingedenpod at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, Sadie, you want to plug your social? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie. All right. And until next time, uh, you've been listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, and we hope that you have a nice day. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.